0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen,
1: we invite your apprehensive listening. How would you define the term breakthrough for yourself?
2: As recent as just a couple weeks ago, I, I recognized at long last that my intuition will never lead me astray. This was like my aha moment. I've spent mm. so, so many years doubting myself, doubting myself anyone were to ask, what would you suggest for somebody who's potentially looking at a time of transition in their life? That's what we want to know. Embrace that. Get still with that feeling. Think about, what does that mean for you? Shut out the noise. What's that noise? I don't know. Don't listen to what anybody is telling you on any side, family, friends, because they're all going to have their agenda. Because sometimes people want you to stay where you are because it makes them feel comfortable. Exactly.
1: Now that you have heard the story... What is your name?
2: Hello, I'm Rebecca Razo, Director of Publishing at Slumberkins. May I say it just once more, please? Hi, I'm Rebecca Razo, author of Quiet Los Angeles. Now tell me, uh, what's so special about tonight? You're listening to the Afro Existential Podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: This is no laboratory experiment.
3: Welcome to the Afro Existential Podcast, a podcast and audio play in one. I am one of your hosts, Indira Wilson.
1: And I'm Blaine Van Teamer. This season, we'll be presenting a brand new audio play entitled Pandora's Trunk and a new interview series entitled The Breakthrough, From Vision to Fruition.
3: In this series, we hear from people who took a great idea and made it a reality. We want to know how they did it and how they got over the obstacles along the way. We hope that it helps and inspires you to make your great idea a reality. In this
1: episode, we speak with author, editor, and book publisher, Rebecca and She walks us through her... Breakthrough that propelled her from being a police officer to a children's book publisher.
3: But before we go to commercial, here is a sneak peek of our next audio play. Pandora's Trunk.
1: Pandora Washington is on a quest to find her birth mother. In this scene, she meets Sister Rosemary, who tries to explain to Pandora how she was seduced by the new minister of the first and last most faithful Harvest and Grains Evanethy Church. We shall begin
3: now. Matthew 15, 11 says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Matthew 15, 11. Lord, that what it do say. He ain't lie. He ain't lie because that's what it do say. Then Pandora girlfriend, he did me like he did Eve. He wanted me to taste his fruit. He wanted me to taste his fruit. Let me say it one more time. He wanted me to tasted his fruit, and it was a strange fruit, was it a mango, or a tangelo, Were I like no mango, or no tangelo, as far as I know, but I did go, I said it was a strange fruit, and I From
1: theater in the black, I just finished reading the audacious and hilarious novel entitled Shady by Blaine Tima, And I'm trying to decide now where to place it in my vast collection of books. You see, it has deception and psychological tension and all the evil of a classic thriller. It's part Walter Moseley and part Agatha Christie mystery novel. But in Zilva, whodunit it's more like a whodun-did-it-nah. Spinning a tale of deceit, sex, humor, and race, Tima brings us the story of a southern town called Shady, where evil is not easy to get rid of. Go to Days Amazon or wherever you order books online and get shady. That's the scariest
2: I've ever been. Hello
1: again. Welcome back to the Afro Existential Podcast. I am your co-host Blaine Van Teemer, and I'm here with Frederick Johnson. Hello, hello. We have a really interesting episode today. We are interviewing Rebecca Razo. She's an author, an editor, and a book publisher. And we interviewed her about her transition from being a police officer To being a book publisher. Wow. Which is a huge leap, right?
0: That's a big transition. You know to be a police officer, I mean that's really like a career that you have to do. You don't just become a police officer. There's so a lot right. that goes into becoming a police officer. So I would think one that goes into that field like that's something that they've really thought long and hard about and thought, you know what, I want to be in law enforcement. So to do that and then find out that perhaps that's not who you think you are after all. So I'm fascinated to hear her journey and her breakthrough.
1: And what other things and she's also going to talk about a book that she wrote called quiet los angeles this is a book that tells you about all the quiet places to visit in los angeles
3: anything to get away from this place
1: and some of these places i've been to which are awesome and some of them i have not been to I'm looking through it now. This is also great if you are visiting Los Angeles and want to check out some great places that are off the beaten path. This is a beautiful, a beautiful book. What are some of the quiet places that you like to go to in Los Angeles, Frederick?
0: There used to be more quiet places in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has become less quiet. It's become noisier.
1: Hmm. This doesn't help us very much, I'm afraid. This is not helping the book at all. (laughs) We can cut this part.
0: (laughs) Well, I do a lot of hiking, so I go to a lot of
1: That's where I was, Frederick. That's where I was trying to lead the conversation to. Okay, thank you.
0: You know, (laughs) know, sometimes I I don't connect the dots right away. Sorry. Sometimes (laughs) I need flashcards.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... Okay. let me set you up. Let me let me set you up. So, Frederick, where are some of the quiet places that you like to go to in Los Angeles?
0: There are certain trails in the Santa Monica Mountains in Malibu that are not only extremely quiet, but extremely
1: beautiful. When I lived in Los Angeles, I used to go to Runyon Canyon, but it's very trendy. It's busy. There's a lot of celebrities that do Runyon Canyon. Have you seen any celebrities? there so this is kind of where my snobbishness comes in we know oh, <laughs> I'm we trying talk- to bond with you I'm trying yeah, to bond okay. with you sorry. Your in it <laughs> sorry we, we, call that, we call that urban
0: hikes. that urban hikes. that? People that are like real hikers and the people that I go hiking with, like they would never do running canyon. You could if you really wanted to. I haven't seen any celebrities. I will tell you, who I, oh, I have seen that. I thought it was very interesting. In the Santa Monica Mountains, one day I was hiking in a particularly quiet area and I was coming along this trail and I heard these kind of noises in the distance. As I came around the bend, I looked and in the distance, I saw these people in Orange. I just saw a lot of orange, and I heard these noises. And as I got closer, it was like
1: women prisoners. Okay, that were maintained. You had to get closer. You had to get closer <laughs> to see a pack of people in orange to know that they were prisoners. <laughs> Have you given her anything? Just a few cups of brandy.
0: That were maintaining the trail. And so there was one kind of deputy-looking, looking person that was standing there, watching everything, was not doing anything. That almost was like a PTSD thing for me from like, you know, I thought, I don't know, that was interesting what came up for me on that. And then as I came through, they all stopped what they were doing and they stood like a soul train line all they were all along and they stood on the sides of the trail to make sure like they were rolling out the red carpet for me and all these women, they just said, um, good morning, sir. We're cleaning the trail for you. Good morning, good clean. I was just like, thank you ladies. Th- thank you ladies, thank you.
1: So let me just go back. So me going to Runyon Canyon Where you is low ground. Well, you might see Reese Witherspoon (laughs) you going to where prisoners pick up trash is aspirational. Is that what I mean? (laughs) It was one one time. I mean, I was surprised. And on that note, we go to our interview. (laughs) Now pull yourself together. Rebecca Rosso has been a writer and editor for more than 20 years, covering everything from art and literature, to architecture, interior design, and holistic health. And here we discuss her big breakthrough that led her from being a police officer to a children's book publisher. We shall begin now. I think you have such an interesting story. And at one point you were a police officer?
2: Yes, I was. I was a single mother and I needed to jumpstart a career to give my daughter a good life, a good start. 20 and a half when I applied, 21 when I got hired and I was the youngest person in my academy. It was the Los Angeles Police Department. You go through the hard part, which is the Academy. It's a paramilitary environment where they're working you out and you're learning so much stuff under pressure. And then you go into a year of your probationary period, which is even more pressure. You're in the field and you're working with training officers. For the first two years, you're really just learning, absorbing, and trying to adapt. So it's really not until you're, at least from my experience, when I was really in it, probably about year four, that I started to realize that this probably wasn't a career I was gonna thrive in. I could do the job, but I wasn't ever going to love doing the job. And for one, I asked way too many questions and not the questions that were probably expected of me. Naturally, I saw some awful things. And of course, those things impact your view of the world. And I would sympathize with every victim of every crime. But what I really wanted to know each and every time was why would criminal do this? Like what happened in this person's life? that would cause them to commit this act or go down this road? Is this person beyond help? And so these are the thoughts that would take me down the rabbit hole of wanting to desperately understand. And I think the problem is that much of what happens out there defies understanding. Sometimes there just isn't a why or isn't an answer. And I'm naturally cerebral and I wanna learn and I wanna understand and I wanna use those things to make a positive impact. I'm also very naturally open and optimistic and idealistic. So those are traits that can actually get you killed in a dangerous situation because you're just skipping through the fields and you can't do that when you've got to be constantly on your guard. So those are the parts of me that I really had to stuff deep down inside to be an effective police officer. And I believe I was an effective police officer, but I didn't like who I was becoming as a result of that. And it just became clear to me that I didn't want to have to change who I am as a person to stay in a profession that I didn't truly love. I, I was in college at the time, I was chipping away at my degree in English, and I just started to think about where I needed to be. And, and the answers that just kept coming up were somewhere where I could articulate my thoughts in a forum that made sense to me. And I started setting my sights on publishing. And I wasn't even sure what that looked like at the time. I just knew that it wasn't where I was and it needed to change and it needed to change dramatically. And I believe that transition anyway, gives us an opportunity for transformation, which I just think is really important. Looking 30 years down the line, I just, I couldn't see myself staying that course.
1: Was there anyone you told this to and they're like, what are you doing? A lot of people didn't get it.
2: That's not a career you come in and then quit, but I felt I owed it to myself and really to my family, to my daughter, to demonstrate that it's okay to make a decision and it's okay to change your decision. It's okay to pivot. If it's not working, it's not working. I didn't want to be that person who was Oh gosh. And you see so many of them on the job are just, they're jaded. They're angry. They've been there way too long. They've stopped caring like 20 years earlier.
3: Jumping from police, being a police officer to going into publishing. That's also one of those types of jobs that people don't know what the hell publishing is. They don't really know what you do. It's hard to wrap your mind around. It's hard to tell somebody that, oh yeah, I'm going to go into publishing and this is going to ultimately makes sense.
2: I was probably more descriptive. Like I'm going to be a writer. I'm gonna use my language and my voice and my skills to do something in writing. Which actually, before I left the department, I was starting to structure my way into a position that would eventually allow me to leave fairly seamlessly and move into any kind of publishing jobs. I volunteered to write for it's basically the LAPD newspaper, and Mm. there's different people that contribute to it. And I wrote about the activities and events and things that were happening in the division that I was assigned to at the time. And I just volunteered. I asked the guy who had been doing doing it, was there for a really long time. And you could tell he was burned out. I'm like, hey, I'll take it on. And he's like, great. So I started doing that. And then I ended up leaving our our patrol division to go into an inside job as a sworn employee and take on a job as a project researcher. So in that capacity, I was researching legislative analyses and writing training procedures and different things that would allow me to continue to build those skill sets. So that by the time I was ready to make the jump, I was at least capable of getting an assistant editor position, which is actually what I did. (laughs) My first job in publishing was as an assistant editor. I think it was a strategic, like I wasn't sure how long this was going to take me, but I was going to go for it. I just set the course and it worked out. And tell us about that first job, that assistant
3: editor job. How did you go about
2: getting that job? I had started to prepare my course before leaving the police department. When I was ready to make the jump, I, I applied with a company, but their specialty was publishing content for the holistic health community. So like massage therapists, acupuncturists, chiropractors, that kind of thing. At the time, my, my former husband was a massage therapist, and he was studying to become an acupuncturist. So I actually had a lot of knowledge about that community. I was immersed in it by proxy. And I understood a lot of the lingo and the language. And so I took that and combined it with my editorial skills. And I just put together a resume and I applied and I didn't hear anything. And I was looking for other jobs and trying to see where I fit in. And then finally, they called me for an interview. And I just knew I was like, I have to crush this. <laughs> like I I have to go in and show I am not LAPD I am this instead and I don't know if it was luck or determination or what I was able to do it. I got the job. And within six months, they promoted me to managing editor of my own publication. It was that was really the starter step for me in getting my feet wet.
1: How did you get from there to Quarto?
2: I was with that company for two years. And from there, I applied for a position as a managing editor in magazines. So they did lifestyle and home decor and art design and uh, motoring and all sorts of different things. I applied for the job as the lead or the editorial director and I interviewed for that job and I thought the interview went great. They walked me through the building. I thought, this is great. I'm going to get this job. And then she called me like the next day. I was like, oh, we want somebody else. And I'm like, oh, all right. And then a week later they called me and said, oh, our managing editor is leaving. Are you interested? And I said, yeah. So I thought magazines, this is amazing. I love magazines. I'm going to really enjoy this. And I did. It was a great experience. I learned so much about not just writing, but like interview techniques and creating content for the front of the book and, and feature writing and photo styling, so many different things. And I did that for two years. And then, and then I saw this job at Walter Foster that was a managing editor for licensed products. I have no idea what this is. I have no idea what licensing is, but it sounded interesting to me. And so I applied and then I got that job. And that's what started me on the path to growing into the position that I have now with Walter Foster. So I came in as, as a managing editor over a very limited part of their portfolio, which is just these licensed titles. And then just things just emerged from there. People left, people retired. And that just paved the way for me to continue to move up and move into the position that I have. So some determination, talent, but a lot of luck, I think, too. Things working in my favor.
1: I think that's one of the pieces that people lead out their narrative sometimes. Just that little bit of added extra luck can make all the difference.
2: I think absolutely luck. I also think you have to put on an air of confidence. Like, I don't know what I'm doing maybe inside, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that I can do this.
1: Was there anything that you were able to take from the police department?
2: One of the things, obviously, as a police officer, you have to be prepared for anything to happen at any time, right? And so one mantra that was drilled into me was to stay flexible and adaptable in every situation. My biggest takeaway from law enforcement has been to understand that things are going to change. And I'm going to have to change with them. Because if I don't, if I resist, that's just going to create more resistance. But at the same time, you don't just go with the flow for the sake of going with the flow, You, you evaluate using your intellect. And it does this make sense? Is this going to work? And if it's not, then I think you really have an obligation to say something. So uh, I think those are the things that have worked for me in publishing in general as, as I've transitioned into this career from my previous career.
1: Where in this journey did you being an, an author yourself come into the fold?
2: The opportunity to write Quiet Los Angeles really came from, I had an inside track. It was uh, the imprint is Francis Lincoln and they are part of the Quarto group. I had a, a colleague talk to that publisher and said, hey, have the, co- have the former LA cop write it. She's a writer. She's another, I bet she'd do a great job. Plus she knows the city. And so that was definitely a fortuitous event for me. I, I had the pleasure of being able to scout the locations that I wanted to arrange the photo shoots. I actually, the photographer is a good friend of mine. So we went out and, and, and worked on it together. It was a really good opportunity. And I write about this in the book, actually, in the introduction that sort of, by the time I left Los Angeles, it, I just, it had sort of the city that I grew up loving has become tarnished for me, right? Because because I just seen too much of the bad stuff. So when Quiet Los Angeles came around, I had enough of a break from that day in, day out grind to come back to it with fresh eyes and a renewed spirit and really fall back in love with the city that I grew up loving and learning about new places and seeing it anew, which, and and that was really exciting. And I think that sort of was what lent itself to the ability to do the book so effortlessly. It, It was just, it was fun and exciting and it was a wonderful experience.
3: I bet it was a great contrast from going from all the chaos to the quiet.
2: Absolutely.
3: And that experience that you'd had before really, I'm sure, imbued a different sense than it might have for other people to really have a different type of an appreciation for such a large city. Because you truly knew (laughs) that nonsense existed out beyond these quiet places and how it must be so necessary for a reader, someone who lived in the city, to access this type of peace.
2: That's a really good point because when you're in in a certain career, like, Law enforcement, maybe city politics. You're seeing one small slice, and I was so happy to go back and really enjoy Los Angeles for all of the di- diversity, for all of the cultural things that uh, the exposure. Walking down Elvira Street again, and I wandered around the entire city from north to south, to west to east, and outside of Los Angeles City proper, too, the county, because there's so many places outside of the city of Los Angeles that have so much to offer. You know, Long Beach for example, is an amazing part of Los Angeles County and a really culturally diverse part of a place in, in Los Angeles County. There's so much beauty in Los Angeles. It's a patchwork of stories that have come together to create this amazing urban place. I absolutely adore this place. So
1: how is technology and social media now affecting the process for publishers and authors?
2: Social media is a double-edged sword when it comes to publishing. Author and artist platforms have become increasingly more important to sales and marketing teams. But it's really a Mm crapshoot. There was a recent article in the New York Times that suggested that large social media platforms didn't necessarily translate into book sales. And they used Billie Eilish as an example. Billie Eilish has something like 100 plus million followers across multiple platforms, but her book has sold just a fraction of what the projected sales forecast indicated that it would. Does it mean Billy's fan base doesn't read or isn't interested in her life story as much as her music, but there's just no clear cut path for understanding the metrics of book selling because the variables are constantly in flux. In the meantime, the overemphasis on social media platforms means that it potentially sidelines amazingly talented people who don't have 50,000 plus followers. But being the idealist and and being a publisher and an editor, I still believe that resilience, determination as an artist and an author, if you have those things, you have the means to get published. It may take more persistence but you build relationships, network, go to publishing events, meet people, self-publish if you have to. I, quality still counts in publishing. And I think that's something that moving into the future in this era of influencers and TikTok, and I read a lot of things, there's you know so much content to consume online. And a lot of not good. It's not grammatically correct. There's tons of errors. So I think that in book publishing, there's still a responsibility to recognize that quality counts, substance counts in publishing. And if you don't have, if you're not one of these authors or artists with this huge platform, that doesn't mean that it's not going to happen for you. Do what you can. Build the platform if you have to. I would encourage people don't get discouraged because social media is not the only name in the publishing game. There, that's just one part. And I think that it's incumbent upon the artist to demonstrate they have the chops, they have the talent, they have the ability to mobilize an audience, they have an ability to reach an audience with their voice with their art. Again, not the popular opinion, because if brass tacks it, it's like sales sales. And how are we gonna how are we going to market a book without a platform? It's like Billie Eilish couldn't mobilize her audience. And and I'm not saying it's not a slight against her. She's a musician. She's she gets a different audience that may not be a book audience so right you need a single inside the
3: book you need a cd (laughs) you need need a digital you need to put in a in in every thousand
2: book a a ticket to get (laughs) Billie Eilish to pop out of the book and do a (laughs) set. Yeah,
3: that makes me think then, other than agents submitting manuscripts now, where are publishers finding new talent? Where do you pull that if it's not,
2: if it's not Billie Eilish? That's what the big fives do. The big five publishing houses, they go after that stuff. Cordo Publishing, uh, which is just the only publishing company and Walter Foster as an imprint is only what I can speak to from personal experience, but we reverse engineer how we do things. We do get agented manuscripts and submissions that come in. Oftentimes our creative team concepts, the ideas. says, so, so we want to do a book about this because we can see this is a growing trend. This is something that's going to continue to grow. So then we will go out and find and solicit the artists, the illustrators, the authors, somebody who is maybe on the cusp of an art trend and is doing some really interesting Skillshare classes or interesting things on YouTube may not necessarily be thinking, I have a book in me, but a publisher or an editorial director can identify a talent that would translate very nicely into a book and say, hey, we we think your work is great.
1: When did the the diversity initiative push happen at Cordo? And what did that look like?
2: So in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd with the Black Lives Matter activism and, and the voices that emerged to educate on systemic racism, I think that it became really painfully obvious that companies and organizations of every size just simply weren't doing enough to actively practice and enforce anti-racism. It's one thing to say, oh, we're an equal opportunity employer, but that's lip service, right? It's another to actually stop and take a hard look at where you as an organization or company are seriously lacking. So we participated in a program hosted by Dr. David Wallace of Awakening Minds. He he does a series of trainings and workshops for various companies, and and we attended a presentation called Eliminating Systems of Oppression.
3: I'm curious, did things open? up in terms of like what you're bringing in now?
2: It enabled us to evaluate, like, wow, we really need to be doing better. And I'm ashamed to say it, you just don't always think about it. it just doesn't. It's not that you've been avoiding it. It's just that, wow, how can I not be doing this already? If you're serious about publishing and you're serious about having a voice that's going to make a larger impact than you as a publisher and editorial director, you have a responsibility to bring those ideas to the table. You have a responsibility to advocate for them, to push them through, even when you have naysayers in the room, to say, no, this is why this is important. This is what we need to be focused on. Can
1: you speak to this new venture that you're going into?
2: It's slumberkins. Oh my gosh. I I just can't wait. So really what brought me to this point, because I wasn't looking for a job, as I'm sure you've experienced this as the pandemic dragged on, I started to wonder if it was time to make a change where I felt, that I just had more purpose in my work. And I've been at Cordo for almost 15 years and it was starting to feel like I was coming to my natural end with this job. But I wasn't really job hunting. I was, but I was keeping an eye out for interesting opportunities. And so um, I happened to see a post for director of publishing at this company called Slumberkins. And I wasn't familiar with them, but as soon as I looked into them, I just knew it was something I really wanted to be a part of. They their commitment to creating product and resources for parents and caregivers that are designed to raise a Emotionally resilient children that resonated with me on many levels because that's where it starts. It starts there. And so that just made me, it inspired me. And I felt like this could be that thing I'm looking for to continue to grow my purpose and to feel like what I'm doing in publishing matters because they have such a beautiful mission. And so, my job, as I understand it, will be going in to basically join their team and work on continuing to develop their line of products that support this mission. And it's a new position. So, I'll be the first starting it. So, it, I'm really excited about what the future is going to hold. Talk to me in six months. I can tell you how it's going. But <laughs> um, yeah, I'm starting this journey with a new sense of renewed creativity and optimism because their values are so much in alignment with my own and just where I want to take the next half of my career, the the next phase of my career. That's
1: a wonderful breakthrough, a wonderful way to begin this new process and this new journey.
2: It's interesting because talking about breakthroughs, as recent as just a couple weeks ago, I I recognized at long last that my intuition will never lead me astray. This was like my aha moment. I've spent Mm. so, so how many years doubting myself And I won't go into the details, but I had a recent experience where I was validated in a really explicit way about a situation that I'd long suspected was true, but that despite my instincts, I continued to doubt. And I was literally gaslighting myself like, no, that's not true. Like, why would you think that you're just, you're making things up in your head? And so when this epiphany revealed itself to me, I was astonished. Like, why didn't I just trust myself that entire time? For me, the moral of the story is trust yourself, lean into those feelings and the thoughts that you just can't shake. Like when I was with the police department, like something's not right here. I need something different. And look at what they're trying to tell you because nine times out of ten, they're going to lead you in the direction you need to go. So that's been my kind of aha moment of late 2020, early 2021. It all came together with this opportunity at Slumberkins and I'm re- I have this renewed sense of purpose in my life, in my career.
3: When You were telling that story going from police officer to publishing. That stood out to me. That You created a transition for yourself. You may not have had the confidence per se that you may have wanted or assumed one might have to make that transition to make that jump. But instead of saying, I can't do this because I can't just jump or because it's, I'm not ready. You put in a lot of effort to create transition and preparation for the transition for yourself. You used what you had. You used the place where you were. That really stood out to me and that there was an awareness for yourself. You did a number of things to prepare yourself while you still work, while you still make money. And at times I think that can make people afraid. Oh yeah. They're not aware that a transition takes time and that there is, it's okay to begin to prepare versus having it all figured out, right right when you come up with that inspiration. And if you don't trust your intuition, because you're not necessarily ready, I think I was thinking
2: long term survival, because this is going to crush my soul if I stay here. It's almost like a, a fight or flight. If anyone were to ask, what would you suggest for somebody who's potentially looking at a time of transition in their life, embrace that get still with that feeling center yourself with that and think about What does that mean for you? Like, just shut out the noise. Don't listen to what anybody is telling you on any side, family, friends, because they're all going to have their agenda. Because sometimes people want you to stay where you are because it makes them feel comfortable. Yeah, I think it helps to hear these types
3: of interviews. I hope everybody that we interview going forward listens to your interview because oh, I really feel like that's lovely. The way that we were hoping people would think this through and help map out their life story and how they made these shifts and tra- transitions, because there's a lot of work that goes into these things, but there's also a lot of failure that goes. Sure.
2: In. We know failure is going to be inevitable, but it's what you do with the learning from that exactly. you take with you into your future. In fact, if you're not failing, then you're not growing, right? You're I not doing You can't possibly. Right. You're not even Exactly. Trying. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor to talk and meet you guys. And I've just really enjoyed this. I feel like I've made friends, like I said. yeah, we're friends that like, keep us up to date. We
3: want to hear about it. Let us know about your new projects. And we're always happy to have you back on to talk about anything you want to talk about, your new experiences. And you know where we're coming from. So every time you get a new breakthrough moment or you learn some new jewel, we're happy. <laughs> we love to come back in and follow just up. Just
2: call me Dr. Rebecca.
1: <laughs> That's what we need. A moment with Dr. Rebecca.
2: We are so
3: glad you joined us for another episode of the Afro Existential Podcast. And take a moment to visit us at our website, afroexpodcast.com, for more fun and insightful content.
1: Anything else?
3: Please click subscribe. And visit us
1: at Instagram at the Afro EX Theater. Look at that. Anything
3: else? Email us your comments or questions at afroexpodcast at gmail.com. Exactly.
1: And a special thanks to our guest, Rebecca Razo. And you can find out more about Rebecca on her website at rebeccarazzo.net. That's R-E-B-E-C-C-A-R-A-Z-O dot net. Anything else? And a special thanks to the brilliant Lachey Tomlinson, who plays Sister Rosemary in her upcoming audio play, pandora's trunk again thank you for joining us and as always have a great day on purpose the afro existential podcast is part of the broadway podcast network
0: thank you ladies thank you ladies thank you have you
2: given anything just a few cups of brandy
0: thank you ladies